Welcome to Digging In, where we provide a front row seat to politics in New Hampshire. I'm State Representative Anita Burroughs. I'm here to bring you the inside track on the people and politics that are shaping our state. And I'm speaking with Linz Jacow, who is the co-founder of 603 Equality. This is a statewide organization that works to connect, educate, and advocate for LGBTQ plus people across New Hampshire. We will be talking about upcoming legislation in New Hampshire that will impact trans individuals. We will also explore the reasons for the proliferation of anti-trans sentiment across the country. I want to welcome Linz Jakehouse for joining me today on Digging In, and we are going to be exploring trans legislation. We're going to be looking at bills that are coming up in New Hampshire House in January. There are three bills, and we're also going to talk a little bit about why there's been a proliferation of anti-trans legislation. So, Linz, if you could, um, I think to start off, um, you are one of the co-founders of 603 Equality, so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that organization and, and what you're trying to do. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. I've been in New Hampshire for nine years now. I just celebrated my nine-year New Hampshire anniversary in um, October, and um, most of that time I've been working um, in progressive organizing, um, and I had the opportunity to start organizing on LGBTQ issues um, here when I I managed the campaign that won transgender non-discrimination protection statewide in 2018. Um, and since then, I've, I've stayed involved. There have been other organizations that have uh, picked up some of that work in the aftermath. But after COVID hit and funding shifted all over the place for a lot of different organizations, it became really clear that uh, we needed a statewide group dedicated to fighting for LGBTQ people um, full time. And so about a year and a half ago, I got together with some other friends who had been long time working on LGBTQ issues and um, said, you know, it really seems like it's the time for a statewide group. What do you think? And we I just had a few community Zooms to ask people for their feedback, what they would like to see a group focus on. And we're not yet an official nonprofit, but we'll be filing either at the end of this year, or the very beginning of next year to make that a reality yes. and start to raise the funds that'll allow us to do more work across the state and um, hire staff and grow and ultimately protect LGBTQ people in New Hampshire better. Um, but in the meantime, we've been just a loose community organization working with a lot of great partners like Seacoast Outright, the the ACLU, uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, Waypoint, NAMI, um, so many others that um, have really taken in the lead in working um, against all of these anti-trans bills that we've just seen more and more of every year. Right. I think it's definitely needed. So um, hats off to you for, for being one of the uh, co-founders there. Um, I just want to tell you my thoughts about why there's been this huge anti-trans uh, movement, um, both nationally and here. And my sense is that um, some of this is to to uh, pave the way for the 2024 election, to get the evangelicals, evangelicals um, cranked up for the election and to have an issue to focus on. I, I think that that's one of the reasons. Um, and I'm just wondering what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I think 
back when we were first talking about having a statewide non-discrimination bill, that conversation started in uh, 2009 with people like former state rep Ed Butler and um, current state rep Jerry Cannon, um, just like meeting with people in the cafeteria and talking about uh, the idea of non-discrimination and how important it was for so many people. Um, But it really, in 2018, when it passed, uh, the non-discrimination law passed through an entirely Republican-controlled state legislature at that time. We were the first state to do that in the country. It really felt like there was a bipartisan consensus at that point. Like um, a lot of people were still learning about like what does it mean to be transgender, just like some of the basics. And it felt like I think a new issue to a lot of people, even though of course transgender people have existed for forever. And so I think mm-hmm. at that point there was a lot, just like more people listening, keeping an open mind. And I really think with the COVID pandemic hitting and so many conspiracy theories coming out of that, that really paved the way to introduce more fear-mongering and misinformation about the LGBTQ community and especially trans people in that aftermath. And so I really think of that as a national movement that is trying to, oh, Oh, harm trans kids, especially, and restrict healthcare in a similar way that we a, have seen, um, you know, more abortion bans be introduced in more states since the fall of Roe v. Wade. I think it's really comes out of a desire by a small group of people to oh, fear monger and to mm-hmm. spread lies and misinformation. Um, And to give people, you know, a fake enemy to focus on, as opposed as to asking our elected leaders, why aren't we having our basic needs met in public schools and healthcare? I think especially with COVID and um, things like wearing masks in school and the debate that we've had on a state level about um, the banned concepts bill that was the first of its kind to pass in New Hampshire. I think there is a clear agenda that is anti-public schools, anti-public education, and attacks on trans students specifically in school is part of that to create this this fear um, that is completely unfounded and to demonize as teachers that just want to provide a good learning environment for everyone, regardless of who they are. I just want to say just, I've, I've seen learned people, I guess I would describe them who really just don't understand. They may never have met a trans person. Um, You know, I had a neighbor, former neighbor of mine, who said, well, don't you think that that th- these are sick people? And I said, no, I don't, Jim. I think they're just like you and me. And have you ever talked to a trans person? He said, no. And I said, well, I serve with them, and I can tell you that <laughs> there ain't no difference. Um, he was kind of stunned. And the other thing that happened, I was on a panel with an attorney who said that um, – that trans women were just men who wanted to dress up in women's clothes. And, you know, and former rep Jerry Knurk said very kindly and very, you know, uh, to explain to him, no, that that isn't the situation. So I think that that a lot of people are just scared because they don't know. Um, And I wish more people think if they met trans people, I think that a lot of that fear would go away. So. Yeah, it's really just about listening to people's uh, stories and every trans person's story is 
different. There isn't one universal experience. So when I tell my story, I I talk about, uh, you know, I felt really young. I was, you know, oh, assigned female at birth. The doctor said it's a girl. But when I was going through puberty, I felt really uncomfortable uh, about a lot of things in a way that I later learned had a name, gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was, you know, I came out um, to some of my close friends in high school when I realized that I was as queer, that I liked girls. But um, it wasn't until after college that I I knew that it was possible to be trans without being a binary trans man and um, took steps to, you know, tell people, call me Linz, use they, them pronouns and explore what that looked like for me. And, you know, everybody's on their own journey. And so it really just takes a lot of listening. And I think also the good news is you don't have to understand perfectly what it feels like to walk in somebody else's shoes to just treat them with basic dignity and respect. Exactly. That is exactly right. That That's well said. So um, let's turn to the bills. That, that There are three bills. And I just want to explain to um, our viewers that um, all three of these bills tied in exec session, which means that they're going to go to the floor in January for the full legislature with no recommendation. Um, and it doesn't mean that they won't pass. Um, right now we're so tight in numbers that the majority who, who the, who's, who the majority is depends on how many people they can wrangle into the session that day. Both parties have done a great job of getting very high attendance. So that's probably what it's going to come down to, whether a bill passes or not of, of this type of bill. So let's talk about, um, HB 396 first, and that deals with the rec- recognition of biological sex. And, um, I'll just briefly say that it's a bill that is that seeks to allow but not require public educate public organizations, school districts, correctional facilities um, to use biological biological gender as a criteria for access to gender to gender specific places such as bathrooms, locker rooms, or prisons. So let's break this down, and um, why don't you talk a little bit about the bill and about the opposition to the bill? Yeah, so this bill, um, or in short, would undermine the non-discrimination protections that were passed in um, or 2018, uh, which which says that we need to treat transgender people fairly in employment, housing, and all of the public places that we go, which includes bathrooms. And we had long and extensive conversations with many state reps who had heard fear-mongering around bathrooms and had to explain that trans people use the bathroom just like anyone else. We go in and out and do our business and are not looking to infringe on anyone privacy. And in the now, I think about maybe in the mid-20s of states, I think about half the states in the country have non-discrimination laws on the books at this time. New Hampshire was like the the 17th or 18th at that point. Um, There's been no, like our our opposition has cried wolf and and yelled to the rooftops about all of these uh, scary, dangerous things that are going to happen, and none of them have come to fruition anywhere in the country. And the thing about non-discrimination laws is they're not pick and choose. They're not, you, you may discriminate in some areas if you feel like it, but uh, you... Oh, it's it's up to you as the individual. So 
oh, this would introduce a lot more confusion into the law and empower more people to discriminate. Of course, um, I'm sure that there are many people out there that would want to fight this in the courts if it did pass. And unfortunately, that takes a really long time. Um, However, er, this is just really back to basics of we need to treat people with dignity and respect and uphold um, the part of our non-discrimination law that says that uh, in any public place, um, er, trans people need to be treated uh, fairly and equally and not singled out because of you know, based on and how you're defining biological sex. Right. And I think the argument some of the the opponents made to to the, I mean, some of the people, proponents of the bill, I should say, said that this was going to protect trans people, which I think is totally the opposite. I don't see how it protects them. I think it actually would put them in a greater harm's way. And they were, they were arguing, I think, that um, trans people were going to attack cisgender people, which I thought was kind of bizarre. Right. And again, this is just scapegoating the trans community and um, trying to create, trying to make us into villains or scary people when we're not. And that just goes back to, oh, I hesitate to say that it's a distraction from other issues, but it definitely tries to make people um, villainize trans people over others who are, you know, not uh, upholding in the values that we should have in our state. Right. And I know during the hear- one of the hearings, uh, Marjorie Smith, who was, I consider a mentor and one of my favorite people in the legislature, um, she's been around for a long time, um, said that to her, the bill harkened back to the Jim Crow laws and where certain people were not allowed into public rest- restrooms due to their skin t- color. Um, and she felt that this was an attempt to um, allow the public not to have to address their lack of civil rights. She thought that there were some real parallels here, and, and I have to agree with her on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's it's directly comparable. I think Jim Crow was, was much more broad and much more er, intense than perhaps where we're at right now with anti-trans legislation. Um, and I would also, you know, name that uh, black trans people experience both racism and transphobia right, right. at the same yeah. time. Um, or, but we are certainly, um, there has certainly been a concerted effort by anti-trans forces in many states and nationally to, oh, uh, put time and energy into these laws that are really just about demonizing in certain people rather than seeking to understand. Right, right. I would agree with you on that. All right. So let's go to the next bill, which is House Bill 368. It was introduced in 2023. And it relates to protections for people who are receiving gender affirming health care or gender affirming health care. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Right. So this bill um, is a bill that was introduced by um, State Representative Jerry Cannon, who's trans herself. And what it would do, um, so right now, um, just to give a little background, many states are criminalizing in healthcare for trans people. Um, and so oh, many trans people are looking at what are some safe states to go to to receive the care that they need. And um, New Hampshire could stand up and say, we are a safe place to receive uh, the medical care that you need and um, 
uh, many people are worried that their um, home state or the state that they come from would prosecute them for receiving care in other states. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this bill would, would honestly say a New Hampshire or gets to make its own decisions and shouldn't be subject to some other states laws um, within our borders. And that's something that state reps of, of any party should be able to agree on that at New Hampshire or is a place that it recognizes freedom and bodily autonomy and that other states shouldn't get to decide that or limit people that come to our state. And so uh, this would give a lot of peace of mind. Um, I, I've met several people from the state of Florida who have come up to New Hampshire um, specifically because of, of those laws in their home state. Wow. And so uh, uh, this, I think if it were to pass the house, it would give a lot of people a lot of hope that uh, we're not only a saying no to these attempts to ban care, but we are, are passing something proactive that says, as New Hampshire values your freedom, New Hampshire values your right to decide what to do with your own body, and you don't have to worry about prosecution when you're in New Hampshire. Right. Okay. That was an, And that was another bill, again, that there was a tie vote. Um, it will go to the floor. And... Um, you know, we're often, you know, I should also say that often people on the other side of the aisle who may think, and both sides who think that they want to vote a certain way can be swayed during during these hearings. Um, hopefully most of us pay close attention and some people change their minds. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Now we have House Bill 619. Uh, this one um, to me is, is really, really important, not that they all aren't. Um, and this bill would have banned gender-affirming health care for minors in New Hampshire. Um, and it would have also banned any affirmation or education related to being transgender or non-binding in public schools. And this is just, this is unreal to me that, that we even are looking at this bill. I know the, the ACLU was very much involved with this and, and, and fighting this bill. So I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. So um, this bill, oh, the biggest problem with it is that it seeks to uh, ban medical care for trans young people under the age of 18. And um, there's been an amendment that's been introduced that might narrow the scope of that ban, but at the end of the day, a ban is still a ban, and we a, should not be accepting any bans on necessary medical care um, or for trans people of any age. And we know that our opposition often starts with a, a smaller ban and then expands that to care for adults. Um, and so we really can't let any momentum build off of that. So uh, if any state rep is is like, you know, this is very narrow, this isn't so bad, it is that bad. It, there's no such thing as a good ban. The amendment would also remove that um, provision that seeks to ban um, or social affirmation in schools. So like teachers using and the uh, name or pronouns that mm-hmm. a student and uses um, that reflects who they are. Um, and then in both the original bill and the amendment would also ch- try to change the definition of conversion therapy um, to uh, essentially re-legalize um, this 
really horrific practice that is it really is it really damages people and tells them that they're not okay being who they are and sometimes it's just talk therapy and sometimes it's like electric shocks um like literal torture so it's not always just trying to trying to change you through talking um or it there are some really horrific practices as and so that's why the legislature made the correct decision to end that practice in 20 18. So what I go back to with that, with this bill, HB 619, that legislators should vote down when they return January 3rd, is that it only bans medical care for trans young people, um, really teens, like we wouldn't be talking about, like, no, no medical care comes into play before the teen years, really. Um, And so one thing that might be surprising or sometimes switches the thinking of, of people that are less familiar with, with trans people um, is that basically every kind of care that a trans young person could receive from puberty blockers to, which is just a pause button and it's reversible, you know, if, if someone decides that they're not going to transition um, in a certain direction, as well as hormones, as well as um, the possibility of surgery, which happens extremely rarely at like the age of 17, mm-hmm. but shouldn't be entirely taken off the table. All of those forms of care, the bill only bans for trans young people, whereas we know that um, non-transgender young people will sometimes also go on puberty blockers if they a, have a precocious puberty that's too soon. Like some kids who go who start puberty a, at the age of like eight or something wow. will go on puberty wow. blockers even if they're uh-huh. not transgender because yeah. that's just too soon for their bodies to go yeah. through puberty. Um, non-transgender people also take hormones. Um, the bill specifically has a, a carve out for um, intersex people, which are, are people that uh, there's a range of conditions that um, could qualify as intersex, but um, often doctors want to um, force intersex people whose sex or gender might be ambiguous or a bit of both to fit into a neat little box and to look and seem like a quote unquote normal boy or girl. Um, And so sometimes they are forced into having surgeries or taking hormones that may not be the right choice for them later on when they're able to understand who they are. Um, And so, oh, it's, it's very clear once you look at the text of the bill what these legislators' intent is and what they're, they're doing. They really want to create a world in which transgender people have these options taken off the table. And I think that is that shows up the most when they try to um, blast out this detransition narrative and twist um, what it means to detransition and try to overblow um, the amount of regret that some people have for um, transitioning when we know that there are people that detransition and 
walk back from from a direction of a transition that they're going in but that's not always because they're not actually trans um for a lot of people it has been because of workplace discrimination or through not having access to gender affirming health care and so it's a much more complex story than they are looking to paint and it really they're really telling on themselves when the conclusion of those detransition stories is, and therefore no one else should be allowed to transition um, or should not be allowed to transition until a certain age. Um, Everyone has the right to tell their own story, but no one has the right to say, because of my story, this must be banned for other people. We're going to be talking about that instance in in a, in a little bit, and um, I just want to say my research shows that there are only two hospitals in New Hampshire that do uh, gender affirming surgeries, and that's Dartmouth Hitchcock, and I believe that Elliott Hospital is the other one. And Dartmouth um, said that they only offer them to patients eighteen years and older, and I believe that Elliott Hospital does the same. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about Elliott. I can't okay. confirm that, but. Um, I do know that the Dartmouth as a policy um, yeah. does not do surgeries, but this bill would also go farther and um, ban and doctors in New Hampshire for making referrals out of state. And it would also see- wow. seek to, the amendment would also seek to block Medicaid and private insurance from covering um, surgeries. And so that is really a pretty scary step that um, could set a really bad precedent in banning other kinds of care that legislators decide that they don't like. It's, it's a pretty unusual thing to try to tell a private insurance company a, that they can't cover a specific procedure. Right. Right. I also want to say, I mean, I've thought about this a lot is that these bills are kind of um, making legislators legislators substitute for medical experts. And, and you know, one thing I, I have not heard enough of in these hearings is that, you know, some of the, the, the most prominent medical organizations in the United States, the American Medical Association, the American Pediatric Association, the Endocrine Society, and the American Psychological Association, they all have guidelines for minors who are seeking gender affirming care. So my question is why, you know, if you had a child who let's say had autism or um, cancer or something more serious or a heart condition, would you call your legislator and say, gee, you know, what do you think I should do here? You know, no, you would go to a doctor and if you weren't comfortable with what they did, you'd probably do research and see what the experts are saying and then you would you would act accordingly in terms of the kind of care you got. But but I think it's really dangerous when legislators start acting in the role of getting in the way of the patient physician relationship or the relationship with parents. So um, that really concerns me. Exactly. So, um, I've never yeah. invited my legislator to an exam room with me. I, <laughs> I I feel very confident in in making my own medical decisions and. Um, listening to my doctor. So um, I don't know a whole lot of other people in New Hampshire that are inviting their legislators in. No, I've, hand- I've, never, I've never been invited into, a, um, into um, uh, a session with their doctor. I'm glad about that. Now, before we go, I want to talk about something that you're aware of that happened uh, about a week ago. Um, it really concerns me. Um, 
representatives, Glenn Cordelli and Katie Petternell, um, invited people to come to a session at the Wolfboro Library to hear from a woman named Katie Anderson, who um, wanted to talk about her detransitioning experience. And a number of us talked and said, you know, we'd like to go hear what she has to say. Um, we were very clear when we talked about it. We were not there to... Um, you know, make light of her experience or to challenge it. We wanted to hear what she had to say. Uh, um, I went with a, there, a number of other people went and um, I was horrified. Um, I, again, I, I said this to Katie that night. Um, I said, I respect your journey. I respect that this was painful for you to make the decision to detransition. But what Katie said was that based on her experience, she believed that uh, nobody else should to be able to detransition. It was damaging to families. Um, it, it was it was going to damage kids permanently. And and said and you know just just felt that this should be this should be banned. And she was advocating for that. And that led to a discussion um, about. Uh, I don't think Katie advocated necessarily, but people in the room wanted to ban conversions therapy. And um, I felt that um, I, I will put the um, my ire at the two representatives for I think pushing out this information, which I personally think is really damaging to young people. It makes them feel like it's not okay for them to be who they are. And I also question one person without credentials. Um, I don't believe Katie is a medical person. I don't think she's had training in this to come out in authoritative in authoritative way and say this needs to be banned. No other people should be doing this. Uh, both, she said, both minors and adults. Um, to me, it was pretty horrifying. So, you know, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. I again, I mean, people detransition for all kinds of reasons, and we, I want to, you know, let people uh, speak for themselves. Else, but at at the end of the day, I think the opposition is using a certain type of detransitioner to. Oh, make the argument that uh, the vast majority of, of trans people should not have access to essential medical care. And um, they're essentially weaponizing and the experience of detransition and in favor of their own political goals. And uh, right. that's, that's what it becomes um, really harmful to Oh, anyone, um, you know, I think the one of the biggest things, things when you come out as trans or non-binary or anything and LGBTQ is the fear of people not believing you or saying like you should have, uh, you know, it's too late. Like if you didn't know this from the time you were three, it's not it's not real or um, or, you know, you're too young and wait a couple years until you're older and um, so there's really no good time for a lot of people. I think the other thing that's really telling is that um, Katie herself um, er, apparently goes to um, a church in Nashua, but lives in Massachusetts. Um, and I think it is really telling that at, um, I've never heard a, a detransitioner testify at the state house um, who actually is from New Hampshire. And so they're bringing people in from um, other states yeah. to try to impact uh, laws in New Hampshire that are going to affect people living in our state. And so I think that is is telling that they are not in line with the the vast majority of, of people who have had this experience and who need to be listened to. 
Right. And we should also mention that um, people like there are other Katie's throughout the country who are going out and making similar, uh, giving similar talks. Um, And again, one of the disturbing things was the people in the audience for the most part were um, very agitated about trans people and, um, you know, got hepped up about, you know, we got to ban conversion therapy. So again, I think it's dangerous. And I think that um, Mr. Cordelli and Katie Petternell are being reckless in in putting out this information. I agree. And I think, I think the best thing that people can do, I know that it's, it's daunting to see events like this one come to your community. Um, but I think the, the best thing that people can do if they're seeing in other events like it in their area is to reach out to 603 Equality and to uh, ask for support and connecting with other people that are LGBTQ affirming and holding a panel and sharing stories of our community that underscore the importance of access to healthcare and um, safe schools where everybody is treated with dignity and respect and non-discrimination protections and other things that are going to make our lives better um, rather than and spending all of our time, you know, banging our head against the wall right, of right. the Glenn Cordellis of the world. So, right. um, yeah, I would really encourage, I know that the the group in, in Wolfboro is looking to plan an, an educational event for people who are truly listening and open-minded in the community. Um, but I think the vast majority of people there were, were just there to receive information that confirmed their own biases at the end of the right. day. Right. I agree with you. So um, I think we'll end on that. Lindsay, I really want to thank you for being with us today on Digging In. And I think you just gave really good advice, particularly to young people. Um, find, find your tribe. Um, Because those are the people who will love and support you and um, surround yourself with with that love and acceptance. And that's what we all need. Yeah. Can I add one more thing? There's actually one more bill that um, I wanted to mention um, here that's proactive. Um, So HB 264 is another bill introduced by um, Representative Cannon, and that bill would simply make it easier for people to update their birth certificate to reflect Mm -hmm. their correct name and gender um, without having to go through what is often an arduous and um, not always cheap court process um, that's like at the discretion of one judge. Um, and so this would just help people to be able to update the documents that they need um, or because some people um, or don't feel safe letting people know that they're trans and some and not having every document um, that reflects who they truly are at this point in their lives um, can often out them and put them at risk of of um, not being safe or being discriminated against. And so this is a really simple update that just like takes out out some additional time and money from people's day um, to update a document to make it easier. So when state reps go back at January 3rd, they should also uh, be voting for HB 264 um, to make that process easier for trans folks. Great. Well, I can tell you, um, I will be in session. Uh, I don't care if I'm been hit by a truck. I'm going to make sure I get there and vote and and encourage um, all my other colleagues to to vote vote likewise. So, thank you for being here again, Linz. I really appreciate it, and um, I think you're doing great work for New Hampshire um, adults and for and for 
minors who really need our support. Thank you so much. Digging In is proud to announce this week's New Hampshire Putts of the Week Award. It will go to those New Hampshire state representatives who voted to have the New Hampshire state legislators receive their Doctor of Medicine degrees. Now, how did this happen? The controversial bill HB 619 passed with a 199 to 175 vote. This bill would prohibit physicians and other healthcare providers from carrying out gender reassignment surgery to anyone in the Granite State who is under 18. And healthcare professionals could not refer a minor to receive treatment at an out-of-state facility and could face disciplinary action if they did so. With just one vote, New Hampshire state reps have been licensed to practice medicine in the areas of gender dysphoria, child psychiatry, and endocrinology. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I could become a physician while serving in the New Hampshire state legislature, and I could not be more terrified by this enormous responsibility. I can't even stand the sight of blood. This means that physicians, medical experts, and parents are no longer in the driver's seat as far as the care of children experiencing gender dysphoria. Instead, the state legislature will be directing the course of treatment for young people who are struggling with genuine conflict between their biological sex and their gender identity. What my esteemed colleagues need to understand is that it is not the purview of the New Hampshire State Legislature to create rules and regulations regarding appropriate medical treatment for patients, including minors. Those decisions rightfully belong to the medical community, not to a group of 400 legislators brandishing sham medical licenses. This bill would need confirmation by both the Senate and the signature of the governor in order to pass. But this is a rather slippery slope for the legislature to go down. Does your child's physician recommend a kidney transplant, an appendectomy? Let's wait and see what the legislature wants to do about these surgeries for patients under 18. My schedule is tight enough as it is. I simply do not have the time to attend my constituents' medical appointments to weigh in on these important decisions. My fake medical degree also tells me that I never belong there in the first place. So I want to thank these New Hampshire legislators for winning this prestigious New Hampshire Putts of the Week award. I can't wait to see what else they come up with. Thank you for listening to Digging In. I want to thank 603 Equality co-founder, Lynn Jacow for joining me. For my next episode, I'll be joined by fellow representative David Page, who has been recognized for his work to expand affordable daycare in the Granite State. He'll be joined by Ariel Warden, who is the executive director of the Coas County Directors Network, which is a network of early childhood directors within Coas County of New Hampshire. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Digging In wherever you get your podcasts. I would also appreciate your spreading the word about this podcast to your friends and on social media. Music.